My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Let's stop wondering and start figuring things out. After a day where the averages were higher and then gave up their gains as we started hearing about a possible breakdown in the trade talks with China, Dow ultimately dipping 27 points, S&P declining 0.01%, NASDAQ ticking up 0.12%. We ask ourselves, which move was telling the truth? The fabulous rally that started the session or the hideous reversal that clobbered us in the afternoon? There's a sense that the market's recent strength before today's second half beatdown was based on a leap of faith, and thus we deserve to roll back the move. I think that could be off base. The run this morning had a lot more to do with a leap of taste, meaning money managers were buying the stocks of high-quality companies because their stories are meatier than the average investor may realize, even as they threw away other stocks that need good news on trade to go higher as the session moved on into the late hours. So to give you some context, let's go over some of the hardest-to-believe winners here and address why these stocks can defy the myriad headwinds that surface daily. But then let's address a real eyesore, tonight's tough quarter from Federal Express, a company we'll hear from later in the show. I can't wait to find out what really went on there. But you put it all together, I think there's a lot to like about this market, although it's obviously more fragile than we'd like and prone as much as ever to trade-related swoons. Take Amazon. When you pick up the front page of the Wall Street Journal and you read that the brother of Jeff Bezos' girlfriend sold him out to the National Enquirer for $200,000, it's natural to think, how the heck can this guy be running this huge company and also contending with so much craziness? There's no way Amazon should be going higher. Come on, you haven't thought of that? But the market doesn't care about Jeff Bezos' personal life. Look at it like this. We're about to get flooded with major IPOs, Uber, Lyft, Airbnb. And what do they all have in common? The humongous engine that is Amazon Web Services, AWS, which is growing at a 47% clip and is much more profitable than the businesses it powers. While Bezos runs the whole company, it's Andy Jassy who runs Amazon Web Services. And he says it's going to be a bigger driver going forward than ever. I mean, come on. Maybe that's what we should be thinking about. Amazon Web Services dominates the cloud infrastructure business. There are only two players of any real scale here, and the other one's Microsoft. It's still a distant second place. As people recognize the value of AWS, it's pushing Amazon stock higher. That's not a leap of faith. It's a leap of taste. Hence, an almost $20 gain at one point is up to $37. Can't have it all right. How about NVIDIA? We just got back in this one for the charitable trust, which you can follow along at actionalertsplus.com. Do we hope that video games are coming back or maybe cryptocurrency mining returns? Remember, those are the two things that really gutted the stock. No, 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 no. That's not why investors are buying back in NVIDIA again, although I do think that the crypto bubble is finally over for at least the uh, inventory bubble. No, we like it because CEO Jensen Wong is back. In a huge keynote address today, the founder and the CEO of NVIDIA talked about so many good things, including his decision to buy Mellanox, the Israeli chip maker, in order to double down on the data center. He's got the best chips for artificial intelligence and machine learning. He's got all sorts of business that we thought belonged to Intel. And he'll have the right graphics chips for the next generation gaming that starts in 2020. Put it all together, and you've got a clear path for higher stock prices, hence a 4% increase in the session. 
But you know what? Let's give AMD its due. Unbelievable Lisa Sue business today. Yes, they got a huge deal with Google for all new gaming initiative that all the gamers are buzzing about. Much more good news to come here, too. Lots more wins. And that's why that stock went up to astounding 11.83%. What's not to like? These are the two things, AMD, NVIDIA, Amazon. Those are the kinds of stories that I'm telling you are not going to go away. Leap of taste, not faith. Now, there could be some faith driving the commodity semiconductor plays. Micron reports tomorrow, and analyst after analyst has come out and told you that the company might disappoint because DRAM prices continue to plummet, and DRAMs are the core businesses. But the buyers remain undeterred. Micron rallied another 2% today. But let's go to the other side, Apple. Now, until today, that stock has been rallying on the hype of the company's new video service that they're unveiling next week, although today it gave back some of those gains. What if, what if the video service is a letdown? Like with Micron, I wish I could find some real boots-on-the-ground reasons for Apple's recent strength, but I can't. Call both Micron and Apple vulnerable until we hear that China's economy is turning around without a trade war, something that took a step back today, according to Bloomberg, as the Chinese seem to have cooled on the idea of a trade deal. I think there's another far more important wrinkle that no one's talking about. I'm betting President Trump wants to leave the tariffs in place, even with the deal, until he's sure the Chinese will comply with their promises. And, you know, I, I doubt that's all palatable to the PRC. Healthcare, especially managed care, suddenly come alive after being a dog for quite some time. What's that all about? Leap of faith? Taste? Uh-uh. I think it is taste. Why? Because the lead story in the New York Times today about health, and I quote the headline, Democrats split over health care at a key moment, end quote. The article explains that there's an insurgency supporting single payer, which would be disastrous for this insurance industry. But if you read between the lines, it's clear that Speaker Nancy Pelosi favors more incremental change, regardless of what the Democratic presidential candidates promise. The votes aren't there for single payer. That means United Health Group is headed to new all-time highs, in my belief, and maybe CVS, which recently bought Aetna at what seemed like a totally inopportune time. Maybe CVS isn't as dumb as it looks. That stock could be very, very cheap. All right. Retail's tough. Well, we got enough mixed data here that the group shouldn't be able to have a big move. I'm calling that a leap of faith. Perhaps based on hopes for a sp- strong spring or perhaps a belief that with lower interest rates, there will be more home equity loans and thus more spending. Don't know if that's in the cards yet. I think the usual suspects, Walmart and Costco, can be bought up here. And I'm betting on a nice Home Depot comeback. The charitable trust is putting money where its mouth is. Oil's been better until today when it turned down in tandem with the negative trade chatter. I'm putting this entire move squarely in the leap of faith category. I simply do not believe the price of crude can break out here. So I would sell everything except maybe some of the majors that have dividend protection, Exxon, Chevron, and BP. I think oil could be petering out as producers flood the world with cheap crude, our producers. I think the second half of today's session, which showed a decline in the price of crude, made much more sense than the first half. But then after the close, Federal Express, a company that I consider to be the single best barometer for worldwide trade, missed its top and bottom line numbers, citing weak worldwide trade, something that surely won't get better if Brexit goes hard. And the China talks fail. So I'm not saying the whole move up on the past few days, which took a pause today, is justified. There are parts that make sense and parts that don't. We know the market still cares passionately that the Federal Reserve stays on hold, which I expect to be the case when the Fed makes a statement tomorrow. And again, a breakdown in the Chinese trade talks is a real possibility, and that does frighten the bulls. I think they stay frightened until something happens. We know that today's whisper story about Chinese intransigence was a demonstrable negative for almost all stocks across the board. But the bottom line? As long as we don't have to fight the Fed, 
and we have some hope of a deal with China, I think this market is more about a leap of taste, not a leap of faith. That means we have some breathing room to stay long as long as Micron and Apple don't disappoint and the downbeat numbers from FedEx, which, once again, we will hear more about later in the show, don't weigh too heavily on tomorrow's trading. Dan in Florida, Dan! Booyah, Kramer. Booyah, Dan. I'm a big fan. Thank you. I mostly wanted to call to thank you for teaching us that panic is not a strategy. So glad I didn't panic back in December. Oh, I'm so glad you didn't. Too many people did. I had to spend my I'm at work cut out, but even on vacation calling and telling people to buy into that post-Christmas <laughs> sell-off. What's going on? Oh, the stock I'm calling about is AbbVie. Nice dividend. Is it going to go up this year? Well, AbbVie's got some real, real problems when it comes to patent cliffs. And they have to take all that capital and they have to buy something. If they don't, then I think that what's going to happen is you're going to stay wallowing in this area. Down 12% for the year wouldn't surprise me. They need to buy someone. Okay, let's go to Gail in Florida. Gail! Hey, Mr. Jim Kramer. Boo, yes, ski daddy. All right, what's up? I want to thank you for all the hard work you do for us people every day of our lives. Thank you, My stock is AT&T. And now my question is, after this merger with Time Warner, is AT&T doing better or is AT&T just staying as was without that? I think it's running in place, but I'll tell you something. When you get a 6.6% yield running in place, that's not bad. I don't think the dividend uh, is in jeopardy. I do prefer Viacom, which has I mean, I do prefer that there are ATTs in war with Viacom, which is going to possibly hurt AT&T or hurt Viacom. That's why I prefer Verizon. Let's go to Bill in Texas. Bill. Hey, Jim. Bill in Texas. Okay. Um, I've been watching you since Cuddler and Kramer days, and, and uh, I've come to rely on you for the take on the market uh, more than anything else, and I do Thank appreciate you. that. Um, on one of your recommendations, uh, a couple of years ago, I started buying into uh, Domino's. Sure. And uh, it grew nicely, uh, and then it hit some volatility, and, and uh, I'm just confused as why it's down so much, and if maybe this what looks well, like a little bit well, might all, be going up. Thank you for those kind words, Bill. It did catch an upgrade today. Uh, J.P. Morgan presented it as being a hold to a buy as they downgraded Yum. I don't think they should have downgraded Yum. Here's my problem with Domino's, just, you know. Uh, it, 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 it's missed the last couple quarters. It's got a, It's in a show me mode now, but I don't want you to sell it. I think it'll be fine. Let's go to Lane in Arizona. Lane. Booyah, Dr. Kramer. Booyah. Uh, longtime listener, first time caller. I'm inquiring about Thor Industries, ticker symbol THO. Total penalty what box. That, you know, that could impact the stock. We thought we had a strong stock there. Uh, millennials clamping, whatever. We also know we thought we had a strong stock in Camping World. Both those stocks are reflecting a downturn in what I would regard as being the recreational vehicle appliances and demand. And I don't think it's going to turn around anytime soon. But I also throw us some uh, higher costs, too. So they got a double whammy. Can't recommend the stock. All right. We're in a leap of taste market. Which I think it's stick around as long as Apple and Micron don't let us down and FedEx doesn't hurt too much tomorrow's session. Well, man, money tonight. What the heck's happened with this new Tanix? After its sell-off earlier this month, can the company bounce back to where it once was? I'm going to talk to the CEO. And the seas were rough for cruise line operators in 2018, but is Norwegian Cruise Line's picking up speed this year? Up 30%. I've got the exclusive. And the CEO of FedEx joins me for the first time tonight. Fresh off some difficult earnings. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? 
Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. All right, we got some work to do here. What the heck went wrong recently at Nutanix? Once Red Hot software company that deals in the super fast growing business of hyperconverged system, which is the future, people. Nutanix has a cloud platform that combines all of your server management, storage, and virtualization needs into a single package, allowing clients to save money on costs while rolling out new technology more quickly and burning less heat. Now, you think this would be exactly the kind of enterprise software play that's working here. But when Nutanix reported a couple of weeks ago, management's guidance was so tepid that the stock lost nearly a third of its value in a single day. Okay, it was a true disappointment. They're talking about 360 to $370 million worth of billings when Wall Street was expecting 430 million, but the stock came down so dramatically that it's been able to bounce and bounce hard, coming from $33 all the way back to 39 Tomorrow, Nutanix holds a really important analyst day here where they, I think they can turn things around. But we got to get a better sense of what's going on here before people flock back to the story. So let's check in with Dirich Pandey. He is the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Nutanix. Learn more about how his company's doing what the future holds right now after the expectations were lower. Mr. Pandey, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Okay, have a seat. Right, let's go right to work. I think tomorrow is going to be a very important day uh-huh. because I think that if you can put to rest some of the Salesforce issues that you had, this could be one those that bounces back, not like Palo Alto did when they had a bit of a hiccup with, with, with their sales force. Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, it's not just about communication, but it's also about just taking a step back and talking about what we did in the last two years. Like okay. two years ago, we said we're going to go after large customers right. and large deals, and we've done a really good job. Like this last quarter, even though we had a tepid uh, guidance, right. we talked about you know $57 million deals and you know f- uh, six $5 million customers, three of which actually did $5 million a quarter before fact that we have $800 million customers. So the point is, uh, when we set our mind to doing something, we do a pretty good job of it. What happened last year was that, you know, there's a flywheel in this business, which is if the margins start to go up, you take the margins and plow it back into the business, get more new customers. And we forgot to do that last year. Okay, so let me understand, because, you know, we have a, some people think of a pretty vigorous duopoly between you guys and, and VMware. Um, it looked like that you spent a lot of money doing what you said, lead generation, and then you pulled back from that. Why did you do that? Because the success was so huge. I mean, your company going to $3 billion faster than almost any other company. It was like a formula for strong success, and you seemed to deviate from it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we went public two and a half years ago, and sometimes you try to really optimize it sooner than you should. Okay. Uh, One thing is that we're in a large market, and uh, I don't look at this as a zero-sum game. You know, there's a growth mindset that we have. And in a large market, only two things matter, quality of the business and uh, staying power. Mm -hmm. Quality of the business being quality of products, quality of customer support, quality of customer base. And uh, staying power is about, you know, do you have enough money in the bank? And we have almost a billion dollars more than what we had a year ago. You had a very interesting conference call where you actually had customers speaking about why they like Nutanix. I keep hearing that the service is so good that they identify with you. Can you go over some of those success stories? Because people, I think, if they see a good analyst meeting tomorrow, they're going to say, hey, listen, maybe it's already in the rearview mirror. 
Yeah, in fact, uh, that's the value of our business, actually. Right. The fact that we start with a single workload, and it could be anything. Five years ago, it was about virtual desktops. Right. Today, it's about SAP HANA, it's about remote office branch office, it's about Oracle workloads, it's about multi-cloud workloads, mm -hmm. you know. And we've come a long distance in the last five years. I mean, our product has become 10x better because of the surface area. Okay. of geographical presence, of workloads that we actually cater to. That's why I feel like it's not a real duopoly. It's really about growing our market, you know. And, you know, four years ago, Gartner said it probably is worth a zero-dollar market. And today, right. it's more than $10 billion, actually. Now, when it's they say the magic, quadrant, magic quadrant, our viewers may not understand how important that is for your business. Is that a great calling card when your salespeople go out? Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, everybody wants to look at something that's peer-reviewed, that's gone through a year of a process, talked to customers. And we've just been this leader who has consistently shown promise in terms of both ability to execute and envision. Okay, so how do we deal with Deutsche Bank's comments from March 12th, initiation coverage of the whole? They say, based on our work, we are concerned that VMware and Dell are taking share and the slope of the Nutanix recovery in fiscal year 20 may not match consensus expectations. We prefer to be patient. Should they prefer to be patient or they should listen up tomorrow and feel differently? Yeah, I mean, that's the whole goal of tomorrow. The fact that uh, we set our mind to a new thing, which is, you know what? Let's put the flywheel back in the way things used right. to be and uh, take the margins and put it back into the business to really go and get new customers. I mean, VMware and Dell are together, but there's all these other server vendors that are non-Dell that also are looking for a Switzerland of operating system, and I think we are pretty good at that. Okay, so what exactly does lead gen mean that you were doing so great with it that you took that money away, which you said was not as substantial, and your terrific CFO pretty, said, pretty much said, listen, we made a mistake here. When you course correct, how do you put more money back into lead gem? What does it mean for your sales force? Well, it's about top of the funnel activity. It's okay. like looking okay. at inputs. Like there's only two inputs a business can actually put into its funnel, top of the funnel. It's dollars. Mm -hmm. It's dollars creating activities. Right. And then you go shape the rest of the funnel by having enablement of your sales force and qualifying things and so on. But that the core of this is inputs, and we actually started to optimize a little bit more in the inputs because existing customers are cheaper to get more business out of. Right, right. And I think it's just easy to have a bunch of that wallet in. Exactly. At the same time, I mean, you've been getting some big customer wins. It's not like they're just, they, they've stopped coming in. It isn't like you're losing a lot of business to, to oh, Dell VMware, In fact, we'll correct? talk about this tomorrow. Uh, our churn is really small. Our dollar-based net expansion is 141%, only next to Twilio. Is it hard to find good salespeople? That was also mentioned in your call. And I imagine it's pretty competitive out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, as the company grows, the ratio of missionaries to mercenaries actually starts to you know, dilute. And you've got to get a lot of people and you've got to train them and enable them and do this across 60 countries. So it's an at-scale problem that we're learning to actually execute better on. You know? Would it be good to have a similar partner to Dell or is it better to be Switzerland? Uh, I think... This market can only be become bigger. You know, to think about what cloud is today. Okay. You know, cloud is about billion-dollar data centers. Mm -hmm. We want to make cloud into software. You know, this happened okay. to PC world. If you go back to the world of Apple and Mac, yes. Microsoft came and said, look, PC is about software. Right. It's about horizontal right. integration. Same thing with Android. Android went and did this to iOS. And in both these cases, the markets became 10x larger. The number okay. of handsets right. is 10x more than the number of uh, Apple devices. Cloud has to be exactly like that, where you want to make it about software that runs in any and every location. Well, I got to tell you, it is going to be a big day. I mean, I was a little shocked. 
because you know I felt the duopoly totally intact, business really booming. But you did, I think, explain it. But tomorrow, I think if you can put some meat on the bones about what happened with that sales force and how you've already pivoted, then I think the stock's reflection from 33 to 39 is going to continue. Well, that's our hope as well. Okay, thank you, thank you so much. That's Deerich Pandes, the founder, chairman, and CEO of Nutanix. NTNX, this is a huge and growing market. I agree. I don't think it is one take all. I think it's duopoly. And money's back in for the break. The stock market is one giant prediction machine. Every investor is basically betting on what will happen in the future. But sometimes those predictions turn out to be dead wrong. Take the cruise lines. For most of last year, the conventional wisdom was pretty dire. Sure, the cruise lines might be doing well now, but sooner or later, the industry will roll over, right? Because there's a ton of new capacity coming online. And when those new ships start sailing, every company in the group is going to lose a tremendous amount of pricing power. That bearish narrative held back every stock in the cruise space. There's only one problem. It just doesn't seem to be true. And as the cruise lines keep reporting excellent numbers, their stocks have made an incredible comeback. Just look at Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings, the smallest of the major players with the fastest growth. Late last month, Norwegian delivered an excellent earnings beat, and management gave us some phenomenal guidance for the next quarter and for the full year. Pricing was supposed to collapse, right? As more capacity came along, the company entered 2019 with a record amount of bookings at record prices. Bear's story couldn't have been more wrong, which is why the stock has already moved up more than 30% for 2019. And even up here, Norwegian is only selling for nine times next year's earnings estimates. That's wrong to me. I think you have more room to run. Don't take it from me, though. Let's check in with Frank Del Rio. He's the president and CEO of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings. Learn more about how his company's doing where it's headed. Mr. Del Rio, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Jim, good to see you. Thank you. You know, Frank, a lot of executives come on our show and they say, hey, listen, you know, our stock is cheap, buyback stock, whatever. You came on and said your stock was wrong. It was wrongly valued. It was wrongly valued because of ships like Bliss. You got a new one coming. Could you just explain to people how everything that, that the Bears said was going to come true basically didn't? Well, I think I was back. When would I, was I here last? A few you, months ago. Yeah, but yeah, just a few ago. months, but everyone so, was saying that it's all over. And, the narrative was the recession is coming. Right. Right. It is a discretionary product. Uh, and therefore, the combination of a, res- a, do- a coming recession and more ships coming online, what is that? That pricing calls for- would collapse. Yeah. How did pricing go? Well, do? first of all, there is no recession. Right. Right. Uh, we've, we've, we're past that, I hope. Right. And the thing to understand, unlike the hotel industry, the uh, airline industry, our ships run full and they run full all the time. So if you've got full ships all the time. And you can finance the brand new ones at interest rates of less than 3% over 12 years fixed. What would you do? You'd order more ships. That's why we have 11 ships on order coming online between now and 2027. So I've got them ordered, but they come at a nice, even pace so I don't choke on the inventory. So I've got one coming at the end of this year, Sister to Bliss, your favorite ship. Well, Bliss is beautiful. We're going to talk about that. Norwegian Encore is even greater because every ship that comes out is even greater than one before. I got one coming next. February, the most luxurious cruise ship ever built for the Regent brand, and the party continues. Okay, here's what I'm mystified by. I was on that ship and I was blown away. I could not believe it. Haven, I could not believe the racetrack. I couldn't believe the facilities. I couldn't believe all the technology you have. I couldn't believe all the uh, things you do. It seemed to mean nothing to these analysts. These analysts just seem to think it's just a place, a way to go from one place to another. If the Caribbean's got bad, well, uh, if the Caribbean had a storm, yeah. forget, forget you guys. Well, you know, most analysts 
most investors haven't been on a cruise ship. I think that's definitely you know? I think that's um, true. And uh, I challenge them to come on board a cruise ship that'll change their mind. This is not your your grandfather's ships, the, the, the new vessels coming online. Well, look, but, I, I got Michael, my daughter goes on cruises. That's I how I knew. I, know I had thought does. that, are you kidding me? But yeah. she enlightened me that this is the greatest single way to have an Instagram uh, show in history. But what industry do you know that we have such great visibility into the future? So I turned the year having sold 65% right. of my current year inventory. I turned the year having nearly sold 35% of 2020 inventory in some of my brands. So the visibility is fantastic. The cash flow is great. Uh, the, the cash flow generation potential, not potential, reality right. of, this, of this industry and of my company in particular is off the charts. And I think it's the w- single most misunderstood um, uh, variable in this whole equation. Well, I understand why. Can we give an example about why? I had thought that people, that there's some terrible news out of Turkey, uh, geopolitical turmoil. And then I saw your bookings to Turkey and Eastern Mediterranean. Yeah. They're up. It's, it is hard to get your head around. Well, time heals all wounds. In 2016, yeah. the events that happened, uh, geopolitical, right, we right. all pulled out. Right. It's easy to pull out. It's fast. It's, it's complete. Right. And it takes a long time to stick your, uh, your toes in the water and come back slowly. So this year, we have 12 sailings that touch Turkey. Right. Next year, we've got 20. I'm now working on 21 itineraries. There's going to be a lot more. The good news is that those itineraries that touch Turkey are selling faster and at higher prices than those itineraries either before or after it. So the good news is Americans are willing to go back to Turkey. Okay, and how much uh, of your year is made right now versus, say, last year at this time and versus the year before? In terms of? Uh, how much year is made already. I mean, I'm trying oh. to get as, like, there is a secular way that people are booking. In other words, like two years ago, people didn't book ahead as much as they do now because they're not, they're afraid of missing. Look, we have three, three indicators of what the consumer is thinking. Okay. One is, are they booking further and further out? The right. answer is yes, seven, eight months now. Okay. But the other one that's very, very uh, pertinent is those who booked eight or nine months ago and are cruising today, what are they doing on board spend? Are they going to the spa? Are they right. buying shirt right. excursions? Right. Are they going to the casino? And the answer is yes. Now, I wanted to ask you about sports betting. There's a lot of intrigue game sports betting. Can you do that one? You know, we've been studying it. you got to get this. This is big. Yeah. I'm just seeing it just took off in the last three months. I think it'd be great for you guys because what happens is they used to be just bidding at the beginning of the game. Now they're going crazy with intra-game. You know, serve a lot of drinks and stuff like that. It could be good business. It could be. It could be. I'll look into it, Jim. Now, mobile. I'll give you a commission uh, if it pays off. No, no, it's all yours. (laughs) I I, I like your industry so much. I do want to talk about what happens when young people go on your cruises, and what do you see? Do you see people taking pictures and posting? Instagram. Are they your greatest salespeople, your greatest influencers? So 25% of our business today in the Norwegian brand are millennials. Fastest growing, absolute, and in relative terms. We are now building ships with the understanding that Instagram is, a, is something to deal with, and we're actually creating Instagram venues so that when you get the urge, they're going to go there. And, and, and that's the best publicity you can have. People having fun, um, value-oriented, the millennials, right. value, value. Yes. And that's what the cruise industry is all about. And then the final thing is, is that I, I think that somehow these analysts don't get the notion of material spend versus experiential spend. You're one of the first people to talk about it. This yeah. is an experience. It's treasured. Therefore, somewhat less uh, price sensitive than people understand. They want it. Yeah. Look, uh, the cruise industry is for everyone. The biggest seg- segment of, the, of our customer base is still the boomers. And the boomers were infamous for being collectors of stuff. Yes. And, uh, but they've 
moved on and, and they're no longer collecting stuff, they're collecting experiences as well. Maybe the millennials taught the boomers a thing or two about uh, how to well, live life. Wouldn't surprise me, but you taught us a thing or two because when we saw you was the height of when the analysts were downgrading and how wrong they were and how right you were. That's Frank Del Rio, he's Norwegian Cruise Lines president and CEO. This is one great investment, people. May have money's back after the break. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Hey, but Disney has UFC plus. <laughs> I watch, you watch Disney now? ESPN is just like there's a 20 minute block that just promotes whatever Disney has. <laughs> it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Two weeks ago, when the averages were selling off, I thought you had to watch FedEx because this stock is one of the keys to the stock market. Sure enough, once FedEx turned around, the market rebounded like crazy. As a worldwide shipping company, FedEx is tied to the health of the global economy. Given that global commerce has been slowing of late, I was worried that these guys might be having a rough quarter. Sure enough, when FedEx reported after the close today, the company delivered an 8 cent earnings miss off of a 3.11 basis with weaker than expected sales to boot. And management talked about how the international slowdown is hurting them worse. Yes, they cut their full year forecast for the second quarter in a row. Stock got sand in after hours trading, but I wonder what point is the worldwide weakness already baked in? to FedEx share price. Let's take a closer look with Fred Smith. He's the founder and chairman and CEO of FedEx. Learn more about the quarter where the company's headed. Mr. Smith, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate you having me. Okay, Fred. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm listening to your call. I take a little different uh, perspective than the analysts who I do believe want the money shown to them right now. I see the <laughs> yeah. consumer doing great. I actually see the corporations doing great. Fred, I see the government's going crazy. I mean, what the heck? Isn't that really the weakness <laughs> in the business? Well, you know, that's a tale of two stories, Jim. The domestic business uh, is pretty good, although we put some new uh, expenses in place to meet the demands of the e-commerce market. Specifically, we opened up a couple of enormous hubs in Pennsylvania and Connecticut, and we went to a six-day-a-week, all-year ground operation. And uh, so those are a bow wave of expense. And then our international revenues were not quite what we had hoped. So we had anticipated about $6 billion in uh, increased revenues for the fiscal year that ends May 31st. We're going to end up with about $4.5 billion. But we are seeing some green sprouts now on the international side, and we're optimistic as we go into FY20. Let's go into those green sprouts, because on the call you actually mentioned some pretty uh some pretty positive things about Europe, and you also talked about maybe things getting a little bit better in Asia. Obviously, I don't want to be too granular. If we're going to grade you by the week or the month or even the next three months, we may miss a bigger story. Isn't it true that if you don't get past Brexit, if you don't get past some sort of China deal, that it's going to be a tough year for FedEx? We just have to expect that because you are, in the end, levered to world trade. Well, we certainly are levered to it, uh, but on the other side of the coin, some of the things that we've done, like our integration of TNT and some of the programs we have in Asia, should mitigate some of that. But no question about it, Jim, if there's not some solution to Brexit and some resolution of the China-U.S. trade dispute, it's unlikely to see much global growth in the, uh, our fiscal 20 or the remainder of calendar year 2019. 
I think people feel worldwide that we have to we have growing e-commerce. I think people are still kind of surprised that uh, when is TNT going to be fully integrated in the setbacks there? Is some of that just related to structural? Some of it was 2016 when you had a terrible cyber attack, the worst ever for any company. But I, sometimes I begin to wonder whether Europe is just a real hard place to do business for everybody, including FedEx. Well, when we bought TNT, we announced that it would take four years to do the integration. There were hundreds and hundreds of IT systems and hundreds of hundreds of facilities that needed to be consolidated and thousands of ground and air routes that needed to be put together. So, as you mentioned, in June of 2016, TNT was hit by an enormous state-sponsored cyber attack. It would not have survived had it not been recently bought by FedEx. So that certainly was a uh, a big uh, rock in the middle of the road, but our integration of TNT will be largely complete when we end up FY20, which is next May uh, 2020. Now, I, I do think, I mean, I understand the pa patience issue. I think if it weren't just the fact that if it were just Europe and TNT integration would be fine, but it is difficult to try to figure out what's going to happen with China. There was a moment in your call where uh, those of us who are optimistic that the president's uh, initiatives could move some business out of China might actually help the situation, maybe give more leverage to China. I did not hear that in your call. What I heard is China's so big that you just can't get out of it. You can't get out of their clutches no matter how quickly you move. That is the case, isn't it? It's absolutely the case because China is the manufacturing bastion of the world, and there are certainly companies and customers of FedEx that are trying to migrate things into Vietnam and Thailand and down to Indonesia and, and Malaysia and so forth. But uh, China is an enormous place with an incredible infrastructure for manufacturing. So it's going to be a very, very big part of the world economy in terms of manufactured goods for years to come. And any change is going to be on the margin. And that's why China and the United States need to come to a deal because it's a good thing for both parties. I thought at the beginning of the call you talked about uh, Amazon and how unimportant you talked about how it's 1.3%. Why keep referencing Amazon? I don't think anyone really expects at this point Amazon to come in and uh, become and hurt your business. There's so much business going around. Fred, it's the most defensive part of the call. I don't know why you do it. Well, part of the reason is because on the 16th of February, this network had a program basically whose headline said Amazon is coming into the transportation business and it's going to hurt FedEx and UPS. And it was uh, quite, a, quite a provocative uh, piece. We were the only people that agreed to be interviewed on the, on the, the uh, show. Uh, UPS didn't. The Postal Service didn't, and Amazon agreed to, and then they backed off when they found out we were going to uh, to appear on the show. So we certainly don't mean to be defensive, but we do think we need to answer uh, provocative uh, questions when they're raised, including those brought up by CNBC on that program. Well, fair enough, but you know that I've been standing by the idea that, that they need you more than you need them if you want that, and you know that that's been the case from the beginning. What I am concerned about, though, is the idea that, let's say the president, this is what my intel is saying, the president's really saying, you know what, we're going to keep the tariffs on in China, uh, and we'll make a deal, and that that's the real deal breaker. If you get that kind of chatter, 
uh, it will refute some of the things that you said at the end of your call, which is the idea that maybe things are going to get better with China. Does that delay any sort of turn? Because I think if people are really itching to own your stock, Fred, they know that you're the last man standing. They're the one, you're the only one that's built a worldwide network to handle worldwide trade. And if we see a tick up in worldwide trade, FedEx stock goes double. It doesn't, it doubles. You and I both know that. So we don't want you to quit, but we don't, but we also don't want to put any false hopes in. Well, listen, Jim, uh, we're a huge part of the world economy, just as you, as you mentioned. We're, we're handling 14.5 million shipments a day. I mean, enormous operations in virtually every country in the world, except those five or six that are included by the U.S. So uh, we, we are optimistic that there will be an agreement between China and the United States because we know both countries' economies extremely well among uh, the best, I think, of any company in the world. And there's a lot of pressure on the Chinese economy. Don't forget that. We don't agree with the use of tariffs uh, the way the president has done it, and we've said that. Having also uh, made that point, let me say again that the terms of trade between China and the United States need to be changed. They have to be changed. Right. In that regard, he's doing exactly the right thing. All right. Well, let's leave it at that. Look, I know I've been telling people to own this stock since the 90s. I can't back away from it now. Thank you so much to Fred Smith. He's the chairman, founder, and CEO of FedEx. Great to see you, sir. Dead money's back. Get to It is time. It's time for the money. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski time for the lightning round. Catch the with George in Rhode Island. George. Uh, biggest oil state in the union. Booyah, Jim. I'm calling you about Garden Health. It's a recent IPO. I took a small position about a month ago. It jumped 50%, and then on earnings, it... It broke on 100. It's falling it back like I said, This thing was underpriced. I don't know how it came so low. I love the fact that they've got some incredible testing. This is actually a winner. I would not let go of this story. Let's go to Dorothy in Alabama. Dorothy. Yes, thanks for your knowledge, Jim. Oh, thank you, Dorothy. I would like your outlook for the next two years on IBM. Well, and I think that the IBM acquisition Red Hat is actually going to help the company greatly. And if Jim works right her stage for the next two years, I think you're going to see the stock up considerably. In the meantime, it yields 4%. It's got a decent, uh, you know, that dividend is not going to climb the way it used to. It may be because they spent so much money on Red Hat, but I think the combination is terrific. Let's go to Jack in Ohio. Jack! Hey, thanks for taking my call, Jimmy. It's a dividend play. Hey, the stock is under a 52-week high, and the yield's right under a 3.5% yield, which is borderline to what I like. Kimberly Clark Corporation. Nobody ever got hurt buying Kimberly Clark. I know it's been down the dumps of late in the last few years. hasn't done as well as Proctor. I do prefer Proctor more than Kimberly, but I certainly would not sell Kimberly Clark here, and I do think world costs are going down. How about Rosvan in Arizona? Rosvan! Hello, how are you doing, Kimberly? I'm doing well. How about you? Hey, just Anyway, I just had a question about Alibaba and uh, where do you see the stock in the next Alibaba, back to being the only Chinese stock that I'm recommending. Why? Because it's got incredible growth. does have a lot of the characteristics of like of Amazon. I think it's incredibly well managed. Mark in Delaware. Mark! Hey, Jim. How you doing? I love Bye. your show. I watch it every night. Oh, thank you. Chesapeake Energy, CHK. You know what? We've got real issues with Chesapeake Energy. Natural gas can't get, can't get its way out. And I got to tell you, I think that the fossil fuel stories are just not working. It's a little bit of a spec. 
I would not buy the stock. Let's go to Kip in California. Kip! Uh, what's going on, Jim? Call from San Diego out of here. Hey, listen, quick question for you, man. I always wanted to get into Chipotle, but um, the sky-high valuations are scaring me away. Is it really that sky-high if they're able to be able to bring it to overseas where we think they are? If they, Brian Nichols continues to do everything right when it comes to throughput? Is it that high, given the fact that bought a lot of stocks lower, uh, stock lower, thanks to Jack Hartung, the fabulous visionary CFO? I think Chipotle's okay here. Remember, it's been more than 18 months since we uh, we were able to put behind us what happened in Chipotle. I would wait for a pullback and actually be a buyer. How about we go to Norman in California? Norman! Hey, a big booyah from sunny California. Oh, thank you. My stock is HCA. All right, we've been the same old pattern. All I did was somehow be able to call less and keep prices back. I think that's over. HCA is back on the winning column. I would be a buyer of the stock. I know it's not that far from 52-week high. It's got 11 points between that and here. I think it can take out its 52-week. It's all-time high because the company's doing incredibly well. Let's go to Jeff in Pennsylvania. Jeff! Hey, what's up, Carla? Not much, Jeff. How about you? Hey, a big call out for the Philly area and Nova Nation. Looking for a twofer in the March Madness uh, 20. That's St. Hey, Mary's. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like St. Mary's to start. Uh, I don't like St. Mary's to school, but let's see what happens. Go ahead. Hey, uh, because of your uh, coverage of uh, Lumentum Holdings, ticker L-I-T-E, back. Well, that, that's a tough one. Remember, I, I'm not a big fan of that particular segment. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Do we have a winner and new champion in the category of best overall retailer? Late last week, Ulta Beauty reported terrific quarter, and more importantly, one of their amazing coffers called the company put on a clinic about how to do retail that I think every chain, I mean every one of them could learn from. At one point, I was very concerned about Ulta. After all, this is a story with lots of brands that you think you can buy on Amazon or directly from the manufacturer. Plus, Ulta's got a worthy opponent in the form of Sephora. But CEO Mary Dillon has gone on the offensive, and she's crushing her opponents in virtually every channel. Just listen to these results. Dillon delivered 9.4% same-store sales growth, one of the best of the best, and that number represents an acceleration in growth. Second, Ulta's rewards program is now off the charts. 31.8 million people, up 14% year-over-year, creating an army of, of loyal Ultimites who flocked to the 1,174 stores in an amazingly consistent basis. Compare that to Starbucks, a worldwide chain with 30,000 stores, but only 16 million members in its loyalty program, a figure that most people would regard as spectacular until you look at the much smaller size of Dylan's brick-and-mortar footprint. Alta's rewards program is so persuasive with various tiers of value that I found myself wondering why didn't more retailers adopt this model exactly? Take the diamond tier where if you spend $1,200 a year you get a tremendous return on everything from points to birthday presents to beauty coupons and everyday free shipping. Turn it for anyone who wants to look their selfie best the minute they walk out the door. Why don't other retailers give consistent customers these kinds of pampered perks? What I like best about this quarter though is how Mary Dillon understands that the future of retail is all about personalization. This comes up on all the best retail calls because personalization blunts the impact of Amazon Prime. As Dillon puts it, and I quote, personalization is the next frontier of loyalty, end quote, because it's a way to engage the customer so she won't stray from the flock. Personalization means remembering what the customer bought before, thinking for the customer using artificial intelligence. Customize your website so the customer gets a more tailored experience. Then there's this, this sense of newness, the desire to put on a show, both in the store 
learn online. Go check out Ulta's website, please. Marvel the 21 Days of Beauty and the Don't Miss the Fun prompts that make you want to scroll all over the place. When you visit the site, you'll see all sorts of price points, everything from under 10 box brands like from Elf, $34 Estee Lauder products, mass markets, prestige, everything in between. Perhaps the most telling detail, Ulta's got the perfect confluence of Instagram and Twitter personalities. When Kylie Jenner uh, launches a line of cosmetics, making her the youngest ever, well, let's say allegedly self-made billionaire, you can't invest in her, but you can invest in Ulta, which has the best chance to replenish a, a product line that was sold out this quarter. I mean, who knows how much Ulta could have made had they enough, had, had enough Kylie Jenner inventory. Finally, Ulta's not throwing up new stores like crazy. They're being considered about it. The company's going to add 80 locations this year. That's only a nearly 7% increase on top of, the, of that 1,174 existing stores I mentioned. But Ulta's renegotiating for better leases. These guys are so financially savvy. I think the man is saving a lot of money here because the retail real estate investment trusts just don't have the bargaining power to say no. That's helping the company expand their margins, as is their fast fulfillment system that's built to meet just the demand from e-commerce. I know Ulta just hit an all-time high last week. But it's pulling back here. It's down nearly eight bucks today. And I'm betting the stock will be become a Costco-style flywheel. Because as it goes higher, I expect it to attract more adherence. As a retailer, Ulta Beauty checks every box, which is why I think it's worth buying into the decline that the retailers may have over the next couple of days. Stick with Kramer. Okay, should FedEx really drive the market down? On reflection, when I think about what Fred Smith was saying, look, no Brexit, this would be better. We had a problem situation in China. We have trade talks. They resolve. Business gets better. Do you sell it down here? Maybe it goes down another 10, 15 points if the China talks really stall. What happens if they get back on track? It is a leverage way to play the world. You don't want a leverage way to play the world? Then you are plenty of other good stocks to buy. And that's the way you have to think of this thing. I'd like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.